because the, the spring goat we also got in like whole so we we butchered ourselves like we took it apart ourselves and used all the pieces so i think that represents rubina really well um then the other page is more like the classics that we have um that, that was the voice of Raphael kaiser head chef of zurich-based restaurant rubina so grab yourself a drink alcoholic or non-alcoholic depending on your preference and come join us as we talk all things chefy on grab a drink with a swiss chef Hey, Raf, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's nice of you to uh, to be here uh, on this early Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, so, you know, normally I ask, you know, what, what everybody's drinking, but uh, my guess is it's probably something warm, right? It is good old black coffee for me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Sticks me to too. <laughs> um, okay, so... Let's talk a bit about, um, you know, we'll get into you and, and your story uh, a little bit later, but uh, for people who are not aware of you, um, can you tell me a bit about, uh, well, introduce yourself and then, you know, which restaurant are you working at? Um, for people that don't know the restaurant, you know, what's the concept? How did it come about with you? And, uh, you know, what's your role there? Um, well, I'm the uh, head chef at uh, Restaurant Rubina in Zurich, and um, I have been, the restaurant has been there for 13 years, I think, at this point, mm -hmm. and I have been part of the team for around four years with some, one break in between. Um, we are offering uh, fine, casual fine dining, Swiss, and French-inspired cuisine, Okay. Uh, all 
we're uh, using Swiss ingredients for proteins, especially for fish as well. Um, we have a changing changing menu. We every every four to five weeks we're changing our dinner menu with uh, with the three the three menus that we have. Uh, so the the way our menu is structured is. We have a uh, four-course meat, fish, and a four-course vegetarian menu, which we're changing up uh, on a regular basis, and that's kind of our main, that's our main selling point, our main focus, uh, what we're doing. Um, the restaurant has about 50 seats inside. We do have a patio as well. Uh, yeah. So. Cool. Where is it located in Zurich? Um, we are at the University Strasse 56, so that's just past the uh, university, the ATH and the, the hospital. So we're right there. That also is like a lot of our business is coming from those places. Right. Yeah. Cool. And um, how long have you been head chef there? Um, I came in beginning of 19, I think it's February 19 is when mm -hmm. I came back to Switzerland mm -hmm. and I took I took over the head chef position mm -hmm. and that's also more or less when the the concept really shifted to that uh the four the three four course menus okay um, and that's what ever since we we uh focus on okay and are you swiss yes i i am swiss i uh was born born and raised in Bern. in so Bern. Okay. did my apprenticeship here as well and I left. Okay. I left in '09, went on adventures, and came back in '19. Yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, okay, so so Bern was where it all all started. Um, are you still living there now, or and driving between uh, Zurich no. and Bern? No, no. Um, I do live in in Weinfelden, which is like quite a bit away too. And like, can't afford to live in Zurich as mm -hmm. many other people. Um, plus, like, I do like. To be in the on the countryside as well, and just mm -hmm. do big of the city is not. It's not okay. For me. Okay, and um, okay, so let's so we go back a little bit for, to the beginning, uh, as I always like to do with uh, with everyone I interview. So we started in uh, Bern. Um, what was that like growing up in Bern um, with your childhood? Um, you know, was was food a big part of that um, as you were growing up? Um, I always like to eat. Uh, that's that's pretty much it. My my mom was a stay at home mom, so she was cooking lunches and dinners, and we had Sunday roast, very classic. Mm -hmm. uh, that was my bringing up, and it was like food was always a part of her family, but it was never, never like a very big special focus. I think mm -hmm. my mom also cooked very conservative for most of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and uh, so what was it then? Oh, was it in the childhood that you became uh, passionate towards food in particular, or did that develop later? Uh, that definitely developed later. Uh, I can say I have one of those great origin stories where I was like 10 years old and wanted to become a chef. Right. Um, I, I kind of like finished uh, school and then had to get moving, get, get to work. So I... Mm -hmm. I um I was good in home economics. I kind of liked that in school. That was one of the things that I liked to do. Right. And uh, then I was like, okay, you know what? Let's let's do an apprenticeship in in a kitchen and become a cook. And 
yeah but my whole my whole love for cooking and uh and food and everything else and the environment really started when i moved to canada and cooked there for like 12 years and i think that's where where really like my inner chef came out okay so it was it, it developed a bit later yeah um just going back again um uh, to your to your childhood what what was your favorite food as you were growing up um it's like whenever it was our birthday we were we, we could wish what we want to have for for lunch mm-hmm. and i can i remember clearly it's like it was lasagna my my mom made this huge sheet tray of like classic lasagna and i think that is one of my strongest food childhood memories that i have okay. and i still really love it when like whenever she makes it for us when we get when we go over so yeah did you have any uh any italian in the in the family line or Pure Swiss. I'm pure Swiss, but funny enough, my my dad grew up in the Italian part um, okay. uh, of Switzerland. I think my first four years uh, we lived there as well, but I don't really have any recollection of that. In but, Cicino, uh, right? Yes, yeah. Cicino. Um, but it has always been kind of a part of our family. I still have relatives down there. Okay. Um, so I think that's where the Italian food inspiration is coming from. Nice. Okay, so let's um, let's talk a bit about Ukri. I mean, you mentioned um, um, going to Canada and and finding your inner chef. But just before that, so you you studied in in Bern, uh, home economics, was that right? That was, yeah, I did like, it was mandatory in school to do like home economics. That was just my first touching points of cooking. But I did my apprenticeship uh, in the outskirts of Bern. It was just a very classic restaurant. uh, like a Gasthof with all the, the schnitzels, the strip ones, <laughs> just just all the things that I can't see and stand anymore. Um, yeah. And that was that was my my start. And what was that role there? Were you um, dishwasher or you know was it a pure internship or was it just chopping it the vegetables? On, it was a full on apprenticeship. So okay. I started at the bottom. Mm-hmm. You start with uh, chopping vegetables, cleaning vegetables, salads. Mm-hmm. Um, we were a small team, so I had the chance after because it's a three-year program uh, with school, and I had because of the small team, I had a chance to like move up quickly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just included everything. It was just really a basic, uh, a very thorough basic training on yeah. like all the stations. So yeah. And was it uh, was it a paid internship? Yes. Yes. It was. Okay. Okay, so you were you one of the lucky ones then? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it is common for like the apprenticeships and <coughs> it is common in uh, Switzerland for all the apprenticeships to be paid. Yeah. Uh, so so that was good, not great pay by any means, or in uh, especially in comparison for all the work that we that I had to put in or that apprentices put in at this point. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was it is like the way to go here to, yeah. to get your training. And yeah, it was three years of getting the basics in and just trying to get through it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, would you say that was a, a career-defining moment uh, after that? Like you were then set on a on a path, or were you still kind of unsure if you wanted to continue down there? What was your What was your thought um, after completing that? Yeah, I guess it was career-defining, as in like. All I wanted to do is leave the kitchen, never go back. Um, after my apprenticeship, 
I had to do military service because it is mandatory. Yeah. And, and I was happy to just get out of the kitchens, right? I was like, I just, I was so done. I didn't really enjoy my apprenticeship that much. Were you burnt out? Yeah, not burned out. It's just, I don't think it was my, like back then, I just, I, I didn't enjoy it as much. Um, I feel like it's still kind of like a little bit of an issue today that cooking, um, how do I explain that? In my apprenticeship, I was taught the basics of cooking, but not mm -hmm. the lifestyle of cooking. Right. Because if, you, if you're a cook or a chef, um, you're putting up with so many hours and so much stress and hassle. And if you're, if you don't connect to, to the lifestyle of it, if you don't embrace it to a certain extent, it gets really, really hard. And I think mm -hmm. that's what happened to me in my apprenticeship. I was just taught the basics, but everything else just was daily grind and I did not enjoy it. So after my apprenticeship, I did military service, which was happy to get out of the kitchens. Mm. And then I took a half year off to, um, who was a friend in Canada for the first time, just on a vacation base. And I fell in love with the country there. And when I got back after that, I just kind of, I needed to keep cooking because that's the only thing I could do to make money. Mm -hmm. But my goal then was basically just to get out of the industry, like do something. And that's how I ended up, um, eventually going back to Canada. It was like, it was more like leaving, using cooking as a tool to, to do my own, my own thing, but not mm -hmm. as in like pursue it as a career. Okay. And how was, uh, when you decided to go back to Canada, how was your English? Was it, uh, possible? Oh, it, it was terrible. It was freaking <laughs> terrible. Um, <laughs> I was able to, I was able to communicate. Right. I was able to make my points across, uh, my points clear. The, the first restaurant I started working on was a, was a German restaurant. Uh, near, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Near Calgary. So that, that made the uh, transition a little bit easier. I do have to say like Canadians were super friendly. Like I never had any issues with, uh, they were really patient with me and my English. So, and yeah, but that's, that's where I learned. So you, you, you moved to Calgary, um, and you started at, uh, at a restaurant. And, no, I was uh, just started cooking at the, at the bottom again, just, uh, yeah. just as like a regular cook and I just kind of cooked, cooked my way up and I started to get in touch with like other people. I was shown, um, showing the kitchen lifestyle. And I think that's when mm -hmm. I started falling in love with, with the cooking really. Okay. How long were you at that restaurant for? Um, I was there for, uh, let's see, six years, I think it was six years or four, six, yeah, six years, I think in total. Yeah. Um, and was there a chef there that, uh, took you under his wing? Yes. Um, yes. I, I had the pleasure to work with, uh, with a German chef there, uh, that mentor, he was mentoring me. Uh, I learned a lot of, a lot of things from him that I wish I learned in my apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he didn't just taught me the, the cooking he also taught me how to how to be a chef as in like a team how to how to deal with people right so like the importance of like your your, your cooks and your comrades and your kitchen crew and i i did learn a lot and like i i ended up becoming like an executive sous chef for him in another restaurant and that was oh, wow. that was like a really cool experience and like all of a sudden i was there i was young i had like 20 people underneath me and it was just trying to figure things out, but like, yeah, no, he was a, he was a really great mentor. What was his name? He was Re Rüdiger Schmidt. 
uh, had a falling out with him later on, but okay. I had like, a really good time. Like I learned so many things from him. Um, and was it the, the second restaurant that you went as the sous chef? Was that also in Calgary? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I think I would say like, well, six or seven different restaurants around Calgary where I worked in. Yeah. Um, nothing, nothing like with a name or we don't have any right. points or right. stars or points. So I was like, no one, no one knows. I think that was kind of like one of the disadvantages. Mm -hmm. No one takes it serious, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I learned a lot in those years. I think like the, the cooking scene in Canada is, is very, it's very different, very more open than I would have seen in Switzerland at that yeah. point. So I really enjoyed that. What was the, <clears throat> what was the style of, um, food you were cooking generally? Um, I want to say like, like I said, the first restaurant was German. So there was a lot of like German food, Swiss food in it, which I wasn't a big fan of it, but I understood that that was kind of what expected. Right. And I knew how to do it, so it made it easy for me. But then we, we moved on just because we have the Rocky Mountains right there. So we had a lot of game, mm. uh, bison, beef. Um, Calgary is uh, beef and potato country. So uh, that was a lot of steaks that we do. I, I worked in like so many different concepts. I worked from like uh, high-end bars to, to, to fine dining restaurants to just casual restaurants. So. I, I, I did it all like I got in contact with all the different styles of food. Yeah. Okay. And what, what, what would you say is your favorite style of, of, uh, cooking? Um, I do like everything forest. I, I like game mushrooms, like root vegetables. It's like that fall time, late summer, fall. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of where, where I feel at home the most. Um, so like one of the things we do at the restaurant in Rubina is we get like whole animals in. We have a um, we have a hunter from Winterthur that provides us with deers and wild boar, which oh. we then get in whole and like we butcher it and like take it apart and use the whole animal from like nose to tail. Um, we get some like uh, stags or venison from uh, from the mountains which we do the same, we get the whole animal in and like, I really like that you, you, you get the whole animal in and then you take it apart and you look at the pieces and you just, you know, you're trying to figure out what to do with everything and you're trying not to, to repeat yourself. It's like, okay, well, I could just grind everything up and make meatballs or like meat sauce or something like that. But it's like, you're, you're trying to, you look at them and you start working with the pieces it's like, okay, well, I can brace this and we haven't done that. So like we could use this piece for that. And I think that, mm -hmm. that's, that's what I really enjoy. I think that's what I enjoy the most. Nice. What would you say is, uh, some of your culinary influences, um, you know, aside from like the, the chef that took you under his wing, is there anyone else that's uh, influenced your cooking? I mean, it can also be, um, I don't know, a book or, um, a famous chef or, um, well, I had, I had the pleasure to work with quite a few people. And, um, one of the guys that definitely pushed me or inspired me is, uh, was my sous chef. And then they were co-chef at one place too. And we would, after work, we would sit at the bar and we would like have a drink and we were talking about the new menu coming up and we would like share books from 
like the Nordic cuisine was like really big at that time. Mm -hmm. The Fabian involves, and we will we will look at books, and we will see like, well, what could we do? Um, so I think that was just kind of, I always like to lift off the other people. It's like always that synergy between me and other chefs that uh, that we inspired each other. So and then we would just one of the limitation that we had in in Calgary or like I think Canada specifically is like there's just not you you don't have the same ingredients or the same products that you have here like i mean switzerland's great i can like call in the morning and they will de deliver fresh fish in the afternoon without an issue like in canada you have to you have to plan a little bit better and like the uh the, the variety is a little bit like limited so if you if you don't have something you will have to well i want this they can supply it so i have to do it myself so my friend started making his own charcuterie and oh. i mean that's really cool um, so I think I, I just got a lot of insp inspiration and, uh, from the people around me that I worked with, because we all like always tried new things and pushed ourselves and it was like, okay, let's start fermenting this and that. And we we're like, I had no clue what we were doing, but we just pushed each other to, to try new things. I mean, that nice. was nice. Um, <clears throat> talking about the, the menu, um, let's, let's have a look at the, well, let's talk about the menu at Rubina. Um, how do you go about designing a menu like that? Um, it is it, it usually so, as I said, we switch every four to five weeks. It depends a little bit if there is holidays or like how, how the week is break on. But basically you can say like every month has a new menu. <laughs> so, so the first thing I look at is do we have a do we have a topic at the moment clearly it's white asparagus mm -hmm. um in the fall it's like it's the game that we get in uh january we do muscles so we always have like sometimes we have a topic and that's kind of like the starting point and then the next thing is okay what's in season what what time of year is it uh vegetable wise what can i get in for for fish what have we done on the previous one so i kind of uh pick my seasonal vegetables and my proteins mm -hmm. and uh i have done like big white big white sheets on the wall and i just like had all the empty spots i start filling in gaps mm. um and then the next thing you start thinking about preparation it's like okay well i'm gonna do the uh let's see what we have in the menu at the moment uh we have a stuff uh you think about the ingredients you think okay you look at food pairings what goes well with that one ingredient that you want to do on that course and they started matching mm -hmm. the carrot with the, the veal and the maple syrup and you think okay how can i bring that together to make sure i have like different textures on there i have something sweet something acidic i have something like savory on there uh, and that's kind of the process that like just goes through every single course and the same menu. Mm -hmm. And it's just because we are a really small team. We're like two to three people uh, only. So I have to make sure to sometimes use like some synergies on the menu uh, to use something twice or like have the same sauce here and like use another sauce and use it on a different dish as well. And it's just like, yeah, filling in the gaps is almost like a puzzle to... Uh, to bring together but yeah it's just it's really so it's intuitive a lot of it's intuitive right yes yeah. um sometimes i 
I get inspired by things I see. I know people like to hate on Instagram and all of that stuff, but sometimes there's good things on there and you can like look at it and it's like, oh, you know what? I could do a variation on that mm -hmm. dish. What the technique you use there is actually pretty interesting. Let's see if I can incorporate that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and then you just, it, it is an experience thing. Yeah. Um, I do put, uh, the one thing I usually get wrong in my head when I put dishes together, I get like, I get all the textures, I have something crunchy, something soft, something saucy, uh, but colors, I think I, I weirdly struggle with colors. And it was like playing up the dish the first time looking at it, I was like, this is not very appealing in color, right? <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, a lot of it just happens, happens in my head where I just put different things together and I like, we discuss it mm. and we'll see if there's any additional changes, if there's something that I might have like went overboard with it or like it's right. not Swiss or French enough. Then. Right. Does it ever come to you ideas when you're sat at the, on the sofa watching a Netflix or do you have a little journal that you quickly scribble down? I, I do it... carry, I do carry a little booklet with me, um, all the time. Uh, since I have like a rather long commute, a lot of it happens in the train. Mm -hmm. Um, I was listening to music or whatever. Uh, but yeah, inspiration can happen whenever, right? It can be waiting, waiting at the train station. It can be like walking through the grocery store and you see something and it's like, you have some weird product, you see like puff quinoa or something like that. And it's just like, oh wait, that would be a cool component for like a texture. Right. And it's like, well, where could I use that? Um, so inspiration can hit you really anywhere. Uh, I mean, there's great Netflix shows too. That's just like a little bit out of my reach. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it's, it, it can hit you everywhere. It's like, it just, you mm. put it in your notebook and make a note on your phone just to, to not forget about it. Mm. And once you have this, um, you know, the, the, the menu, uh, ready, um, do you, what type of uh, period do you go through to for, for the testing of it? I mean, is it something you bring, you know, your friends or, you know, the staff um, and go through and, and, and test and taste and, and then go back and redevelop it? Do you, do you have a period of time to do that? Or is it kind of you, know, you just get it in place, you're doing it all in the kitchen and that's it? Yeah, sink or fly. That's 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 pretty much how, how it uh, sink or swim. Uh, that's how it goes. Um, I, I, we don't, I don't have the capacity at the moment to do like a test cooking, mm -hmm. fortunately. Uh, there's a lot of mistakes that we could sort out. It's always the first evening of the menu lunch where you, you thought, you thought you had everything under control and like everything is perfect and things. And then you start plating up and you're just like, shit. Um, I do have, uh, variety of uh, ingredients for like acidity acidity mm. and texture and colors that I can use that I have like some standby um, where I can use to like fix things up that I when I notice something is not how I want it but yeah unfortunately like I don't have the capacity to cook every dish put it down and we could go through as a team or me and my boss could go through and taste everything uh, would definitely be a beneficial thing but unfortunately how much um flexibility do you have with the menu from from the owners they uh leave you to just do whatever you want um i have pretty much 100 flexibility yeah uh it was at the when i started um there was obviously 
I was this no one coming from a different country from restaurants that I've never heard of, uh, right. that are, there's no credibility to any of the restaurants that I worked at because mm -hmm. no one cares about Calgary. Um, <laughs> and, and at the beginning there was a little bit, there were more hesitation. I yeah. say. There were checking a little bit more now at this point, like I pretty quickly, then they realized, okay, he knows what he's doing. Uh, he he understands he works within the concept so as long as i can um as long as i work with that swiss ingredients swiss uh cuisine te french techniques kind of thing mm -hmm. um it is fine we started to spread out a little bit of like i guess i mentioned before maple syrup we can say it's like quebec so it's french canadian right so right. that that fits uh, we started to go like Northern Africa with certain spices, but algae in Morocco, we can say like, well, it's kind of French, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but like, it's not a main thing. It would be just for a few ingredients. And that's kind of like the, the limitation that I have. Okay. So if I, if I came in um, and I asked you to pick two dishes that really um, define the concept of uh, Rubina, what would those two dishes be? Um, um, so we have we have two pages, as I explained before. We have like on one page we have those three four course menus, mm -hmm. and on that one at the current menu, I would say we have a duo from Spring Goat, which is braised shoulder. It's like a stuffed uh, back loin with some with some olives, some uh, that we made ourselves um some corn cakes from a mm. from local producer uh some radishes i think that one is a really pretty dish it has like all the all the components you know like like that's kind of like the thing uh people should read the menu understand everything that says it, that it says on there mm -hmm. but then when they get the plate they should be like that's not what i expected it to be right it's like they should, <laughs> they should know what they have uh, they, they should know what they ordered but they should not expect the dish to look like something like what they does that make sense they should not yeah. expect to look the dish the way they thought it would so i think with the with the the duo we have on the spring goat i think it's a really pretty dish and it does because the the spring goat we also got in like whole so we we butchered ourselves like we took it apart ourselves and used all the pieces so i think that represents rubina really well um, then the other page is more like the classics that we have, um, that are part of the history of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Uh, it only has three appetizers and two fixed main courses. Uh, and on there we have a stuffed pork chop that is breaded with like a Gruyere cheese inside that comes with like homemade pasta and vegetables. It's not a very fancy dish you want to call it that it's a but it's a very homey dish and does have a lot of meaning for my boss uh because it's a dish from her dad okay <clears throat> so i think those two those two dishes at the moment do reflect uh it would be not very well hmm. and the service you run in at the restaurant so you do a lunch service dinner service yeah we're open um Starting May again, we had like some staffing issues. Uh, hard, hard to find people to work, right. work with. Uh, but starting May, hopefully we'll be back to open Monday to through Saturday. 
for lunch for lunch and dinner and, okay and uh, currently what what's what do what you uh currently it depends a little bit we we kind of switching to be closed mondays and closed saturdays uh it's kind of you have to check the like this week um this week we closed saturdays and then next week we were closed monday but open saturdays it just we have to be a little bit flexible on on uh, on what's going on but mm -hmm. but yeah coming coming up in in may we'll be back to our normal six day okay opening hours okay and you're present each each day right oh uh, i hope not um <laughs> i'm usually like there at the moment i'm present every day um yeah. but uh coming coming soon i'm like almost there every day mm -hmm. i do do all the all the prep with my cooks together like i'm i'm, I'm hands-on like i'm standing in the kitchen like i'm working with my with the stove with the guys uh I, I do all the things from washing dishes to scrubbing the floor to do the pastries and stuff so right. i'm always i'm always there always working tell me tell me a bit about your um your management style as a chef because you know you, you mentioned that you you know you'd led about 20 people in in the past and now um i think what you said there's uh, just three of you in the kitchen at the yeah. rabina yeah so ha, ha, you know what is the, the 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 style you have as a as a head chef um i i try to keep it flat um at the end i'm i'm responsible for what goes out i'm responsible for what happens in the kitchen and that's that just sets certain boundaries and guidelines but in general i like I said, I, I, I try to do everything. I think it's unfair to, um, expect people to do stuff that you wouldn't do yourself. And I think that's kind of my, my general, um, general management style, I guess you want to call it that at this point, it was a journey though. Um, especially like, yeah, back when I worked with like so many people underneath me, I was, I was younger. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was, it, it's a, it's a learning curve. You, it will take a moment. You need to, you need to find yourself and your style of, of of guiding with people and like sometimes the frustration gets the better of you and you're becoming someone that you don't want to be right that's like you know there's there was quite some yelling in my younger years um i'm so happy i got rid of that <laughs> uh it's just not productive mm. but uh i i do I, I do have clear expectations on my team um there are certain things i want to have it done that way and that's just that's just how it is and uh, there's no no arguing about that right but on the other hand i'm like i'm i'm trying to be as, as easy going and as like laid back as possible uh because it's just it, it gets really hard otherwise if you're like if you have a toxic environment in the kitchen it's just not gonna work right we're spending too much time together yeah um that's not productive in any way and you know, in terms of staff, you mentioned it's quite hard to to find people at the moment. Um, why is that? Um, for us, for Rubina especially, we are on a terrible disadvantage to be open for lunch and dinner, uh, which creates we have a break in the afternoon, right? So you're you're working split shifts, which is very unpopular, and I totally understand that uh there's also newer models like four-day work weeks and stuff which i mm -hmm. i worked on four-day work weeks in canada too it's absolutely great and um it's just we 
we haven't figured out that at Rubina yet how we can be more attractive with our working hours and our work models for um, for potential cooks and chefs, mm-hmm. uh, and that's <laughs> and that's the uh, that's a problem with like a smaller labor market. Uh, people will pick will pick the the places that offer the best work life balance. Uh, I totally get it. Um, I, I wish I could offer my chefs and cooks like a better work balance and uh, better hours. Uh, but there's business limitations at the moment that we have that we have to overcome before we can do that. But mm-hmm. yeah, as far as it goes for the labor market itself, I think it's it's like our own fault for like chefs and restaurants, right? For, for a long time, like there's not enough young people that want to become chefs. And that's that's understandable too. But what, why? Um, why why is that? Why do you think that? The, the hours. It's just the hours. Just purely the hours. The hours, the stress. Um, and I do think also one of the things that I told you what happened with me and my apprenticeship. I was taught how to cook, not how to be a chef. Mm. And I, and I think that has been that has been lost, right? And yeah. I I also there is. You know, if you're working like seven, uh, five days a week and you're just dropping fries in the fryer and you're breading schnitzels and you're putting like the, the compound butter on the steak, that's just, that's not fulfilling. That's very boring, right? Yeah. So we, we missed, we missed out as an industry to make our job attractive, to show them mm-hmm. like, here's cool things we can do. <clears throat> like there's all those like weird stuff. We can, we can ferment things. We can do like all animal butchery. We can. We can cook things you have never seen. Have you seen like this? We make creams and pearls and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has just been missed. And it's also it's the the whole you have to if if you're working in kitchens, you have to embrace the kitchen lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um and we, we missed out on that. To, yeah. to transfer that that feeling. And for a long time I think that Switzerland was was lucky to to fill the gaps because it, it goes on for like years and years. But we were lucky to fill out the gaps that we had with with Germans, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Like a lot of my my wife is German, like a lot of great. Uh, but now they're they're going home or they they took over kitchens and they cook great food. But like and they're not coming anymore, so we don't have anyone anymore. And I think that's that's just it's just like one of the issues that we realized too late that there's no one else to them back yeah I, th- I really think you got a point there i mean for me coming from england um you know i grew up with watching uh you know on saturday mornings they have this saturday morning kitchen where it's just guys in the kitchen cooking uh, you have james martin who's a big chef on a saturday morning that, that you know i still watch into to this day and you know and i i think you know you can walk in down the streets in london and you know sometimes you can even tell chefs out of a crowd right because they kind of walk with a certain swagger and uh you know they're, they're completely immersed in that lifestyle i don't really see that here right um which which is a shame yeah and yeah we're we completely missed to teach two generations um I want to say this like almost two generations at this point the the fun of being a chef i mean from the people that i went to school with and like uh the apprenticeship chef school um i think maybe 
maybe three or so are still cooking. The rest has moved on, right? From like mm -hmm. 15, 20 students. So it's, yeah, we, and there's so many restaurants that like the, the need for, for kitchen staff is just so great. Do you think a lot of sh potential chefs or people who want to get into it uh, in Switzerland are going abroad like you did and then just staying there where, you know, you, you did, there is more of a, a bigger culture around food, you know, like France, Italy. I mean, you're just, it's everything's about food. You know, you sit down to a table and you're talking food whilst eating food, right? Do you think that's happened? Maybe I, I do would say that there's two kind of there's two different kind of people that go abroad for for cooking or leave the country. Um, there is people like me that just go on personal adventures and just you know want to see the world, uh, and I think we're definitely the smaller part. Uh, most I want to say most Swiss cooks and chefs that go abroad are going to to Michelin places. They're going to like further their. Um, education, they're working in high-end places, they go to London, they go to Paris, they go to Spain, uh, and they work in all those things in stages and stuff like that. I mean, that's the majority of Swiss mm -hmm. um, Swiss chefs, cooks that leave the, the country. I think the, the the renegades like me, the, that just go and do the grunt work somewhere in a in a dirty kitchen, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, it's, it's on the smaller part. So. <laughs> right. Um... Okay, what what do you think is the most important quality uh, that a chef should uh, should possess? You know, what what's the you know what are the most important characteristics? Do you think attitude? Um, like I have worked with so many different people. I have worked with people that had nothing to do with a cooking background, and they came in, but they had the right attitude. That came in is like okay, I want to learn this. I, I'm open for new things. I'm like I'm willing to do uh, what it takes. And I think and they within like within within weeks they were surpassing people that have been there for two three years with no cooking background, uh, which is amazing. So I think attitude is 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 huge. Um, I think that's that's a really. Uh, on the other hand, you have to be willing to learn. Uh -huh. uh, cooking is changing. We will look back in 15 years and see what we did today, and we were laughing or like, oh my god, what, what was that? And I'm like, I see it on my own Instagram and like my own pictures too. Stuff I've done six years ago, I just, yeah, like, uh, uh let's let's put them away. Um, so yeah, the world and the cooking is ever changing, and you have to go with it, and you have to be open for it. So. I think attitude and willingness to learn are two very, very important points. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. And um, what was your most memorable um, moment uh, as a chef, either in um, in Canada or here in Switzerland? Like, you know, what was your what's been your biggest uh, accomplishment? Um. I, I'm not sure actually. I I never had any crazy, crazy things happening, so mm -hmm. I just 
Yeah, I know it's a tough one. I, okay. I don't have a, a specific point where I can say like, yeah, that that was like a very proud. I had a lot of proud moments, but like nothing yeah. stands out like that. So yeah, okay. What about criticism? Do you do you handle that well in the restaurant? Um, or you know, from from your um, from your team, from customers, do you do, you know do you take it on board well? Um. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I wish I could say like, yeah, no, I have no problem with criticism. Um, it, criticism is hard. Uh, it's a hard thing to take. Uh, I prefer it most from my team just because, you know, they, they see what you're doing and they can like criticize you on like a professional level kind of thing. Um, I do think criticism is important. If you don't get it, uh, you just do something and you think you're great, uh, but like no one likes it. And then it's just... So, um, yeah, no, I, criticism for, from guests, that's like, I'm in the kitchen, uh, I like to stay there, uh, it comes through, it will come through my boss, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, there's, like, there's always, there's always certain things that you have to adjust, right, there's things that you right. think are great, um, or like, it can just happen that, you know, something was not fully submerged, or like, one batch mm -hmm. or something has like, has not worked out the way it was supposed to and you're just so in your routine that you don't realize it and without criticism if you're like, without feedback from from the front there's you just keep going uh with that mistake without yeah. changing it so um yeah. i do work on my yeah. criticism like how to take it but it's it's definitely like it's a tough one right Okay, let's um, let's switch a bit now to um, to Switzerland um, and and the, the Swiss food industry in general. Um, what, what's your take on the options here in, in Switzerland or Zurich specifically, if you, if you want? You know, is is it in good health? Do you like what's happening? Is there anything missing at the moment? What's what's your take on the industry? I think. Um you have to look at it very uh, very separate zurich has a great food scene absolutely like what the options that you have the style of cooking like all the uh the younger chefs or the chefs my age that came out they come out and like they do their own thing and they have those like casual like creative cooking things it's, it's great and it's like one of the things that i've seen in calgary as well and i was always missing um here just like so I think Zurich itself, and I think like it goes for all the bigger cities. There is there's young chefs that do new things, and they like they just cook the food that they like, and it's it's great, it's awesome. And there is there's like the older chefs that still do like the the classics or like the basics. They have the places that are there forever, and they do them well as well. And and I think that's awesome. <laughs> uh, as soon as you leave the big cities. It gets a little bit tricky. Um, mm -hmm. It's just I, I try to find a place to go out for for dinner since I'm off on a Saturday for once. Mm -hmm. uh, here in Weinfelden, as an example, and there's one good place that we have already been, and we want to try something else, and just like nothing speaks to us. There's it just seems to be uh, as soon as you leave the big cities, a lot of towns and smaller cities just have the same old, same old, and it's just. As also, I think a lot of 
a lot of places just do the basics mm-hmm. and they're safe. I mean, like how many Italian places are there? Like how many places where you can get like a Geschnetzel or something or like a Schnitzel with fries and it's just and but if you want to have something else, you want to have something creative, you want to have something like maybe like like a tasting menu or stuff like that. Um, you start to to like hit limitations in smaller towns very quickly. Uh, that being said, obviously the um, everything that's high end or like when we go into like the the higher points and Michelin stars, I think like it's uh, it's great. It's absolutely amazing the the cooking that we have here. And what some of those guys do is just really, really cool. So, and I think that's, that's nice. Do you, do you have a favorite restaurant in, um, in Zurich or outside of, uh, Zurich? Um, not really. I I don't get, I don't get to eat out very often. Um, and I do try to, to, um, to go to places like only once so I can go to a different place after. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I can't really say I have a favorite one. Um, I have been to Anna in Zurich, which had like great service, great food. Um, that's just like one that stands out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, we just, we just try to, to go to, to different places. Like, you know, I want to see something else. Mm-hmm. We haven't, we haven't completed the list yet to like go back to square one. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of great options. I think the only the only thing that I find frustrating in Switzerland is when you're Sunday is the worst. Um uh, if you're getting up late on Sundays and you just wanna, you know, just casually grab something on like in the afternoon or even if you try to make a dinner reservation on Sunday or Monday, like everything is closed. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, true. Just, you know, find a find a casual place to have like a late lunch on a Sunday is basically impossible. Even in Zurich it gets really, really tough. So and that's that's my biggest criticism about yeah. the Swiss food scene. Do you like going out for um, to going out for dinner to a restaurant on your nights off? Or are you just like in a restaurant too much? I'm not interested. And is it your uh, your partner or wife? Is she the one who's pushing you uh, to go out? Um, no, we're uh, we're both uh, really love to go out for dinner. Um, it's I think it's important as a chef too just to uh, get the experience as a guest. Um, I, I wish, I wish it would be possible for me to cook in the kitchen and come as a, a guest at the same time and yeah. try my food as a customer. Um, but no, I, I love, I love going out for food and like, I love seeing what other people do. It's like, I'm going to, to a restaurant, look at the menu. It's like, what sounds weird? What sounds like something I never had before? What, what are the weirdest or like the most special preparations I can find and let's try something we never had before. And I, I really enjoy that. Um, and I think like, yeah, no, it's important to go out and see what other people do because that's, that's part of, of your learning curve, right? Like keeping up with everyone else, keep learning, keep seeing new things. And I think that going out for dinner is part of it. And, mm-hmm. uh, in my apprenticeship, when in school our like cooking teacher always said that you should go once a once a year you should go out for a really really fancy dinner and just splurge on it just to get a get a taste of what's out there and i feel that's that's a really good good approach Mm. what what do you what's your take on the uh the 
the trend in uh, in Switzerland in terms of food right now? What are you seeing the most? Like uh, you, see, you know, we have people say there's you know a lot of vegan coming out. Um, you seen anything in particular that's standing out? Um, vegan vegetarian or vegan especially is big. Uh, it's still big and I think will be still there. And I think it's great to to have options, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's that's one of the things. I mean, Swiss products, uh, Swiss produce, uh, seasonal ones as well. I think like people have gotten more sensitive to like using or eating stuff that's in season. And I think that's great, but that's also like long-term one, uh, has been around for a while. Um, yeah. And I think just general, like just being more aware of what you eat and the quality of what you eat, I think is important. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it's also customer respond to that very well. Like you can get away with like these days you can get away without any issues if you were like serving smaller portions for like high quality produce or protein from Switzerland and people will be totally fine with it. There's always the outliers, obviously. And there's like, oh, but like I got so much more for like so much less money. Uh, but in general, in, um, in the, in the fine dining, casual fine dining and up, it's definitely, we're moving into the trend to like use higher, higher quality and um just appreciate more what we have i don't think that's that's a good trend yeah what about the um the pandemic what how did you um how did you navigate that and uh what lessons were learned uh well i think so what, what we did at rubina because i was I was working. I did really enjoy my first six weeks of doing nothing. That was really awesome. <laughs> uh, I think like a lot of chefs had the same thing. I mean, if you were an owner, it was probably not as great, but uh, if you were just employed, it was great. Um, I think what we learned through the pandemic is that you have to be more open, more flexible. Uh, you have to like, you, you cannot just, just do your, your, your thing and just go with it it's like you just have to be open for new models or like you have to adjust to a market uh so what we did at rubina to to a certain extent uh we prep like we offered meals that were pre-cooked like mm -hmm. it was four course meals uh, and then they just they were packaged and then they could like were picked up and then just had to be reheated and finished at home right yeah so we generate a little bit of business it wasn't so much about <clears throat> it wasn't so much about uh making profit at that point or like you know or thing it was more to to retain customers to keep keep in touch with the customers right and uh, we're still doing it i think twice a year now with like uh christmas and easter we have those those uh cook at meal cook meals cook at home bag things uh um but yeah it was just more to to stay in, in contact with the people right just to let them know hey we are here we're still around like let's get through this um and yeah i think like and there was but there was a lot of other places that came up with creative ideas to 
uh, to retain business or to get through it, right? And I think, mm. and that's what people realize they have to think outside the box. Yeah. Did you um, plug into any of the delivery apps out there? No. No, that was not for us. I, we we thought about it. We thought about take uh, takeout as well, but um, it would just for the kind of food that we were doing, we would almost have to like create a new concept within the restaurant. And I think like we we decided that would hurt our um, our brand too much because it doesn't reflect what we are. And then there's also the like the cut that they're taking, right? Plus, we would have to sell so many takeouts to make it worthwhile for like at least me myself and like someone in the front to be there to deal with everything so it was just it was not feasible uh for our business mm-hmm. and it's also a lot of our like especially a lot of our lunch crowd um is coming from the universities and the hospitals which were really quick to switch into home office right so we just didn't right. have that walking crowd like the pedestrians in front of our place that would pick up on that. There's just, we were in a very dead part of the city. So. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, so pandemic aside, what advice would you give to, um, any chef? Um, well, no, 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 not a chef. Let me, let me say that again. Um, pandemic aside, what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about opening a, a restaurant in Switzerland? Um, most important, find your niche. Uh, you need to have a concept that works. If you're the fifth Italian place, not hating on the Italians, but if you're the fifth Italian place in like the neighborhood, it's going to be tough. But if you have like, you need to find a good concept. You need to find your niche that that where there's a demand. Right. And that's the most important stuff. You cannot just be like the stamens of something. Um, I think that's most important. Then beside that, it's be aware it's a lot of work, like a lot. You're going to be working constantly. There's going to be things you didn't anticipate and that will hit you left and right constantly. So just be prepared. I think those are the two advices I would give anyone. And what advices would you give to any would-be chefs out there who are the young guys thinking about getting into this? Learn your basics. Uh, Basics are everything. Uh, You need to get the techniques done. Uh, That's just the most thing. And then after that, uh, go travel. Uh, Go work. Even if if you're from Zurich, uh, go to Bern, go to Basel, like, and if you're more adventurous, like go anywhere else in Europe, uh, if you're super adventurous, just go anywhere in the world. But I think go out there and like, try to pick up and learn as much as possible. Get yourself, uh, influenced by different cultures, different cuisines, different cooking styles. Uh, but know your basics, like, um, the, the the basic cooking that we learn here in school in our apprenticeship is 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 worth a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I have to give the Swiss education system. Uh, but yeah, go out there, try to soak up as much as you can, go out of your comfort zone, and just work hard. 
uh, it will pay out probably not in the first five years or so, mm. but eventually it will start to pay out. And if you embrace it and you go with the flow, it can be quite an experience. And given what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself, a 20 year old you? I would look at myself and would tell you, you did everything wrong, but it worked out well. <laughs> um, I mean, I should have approached my whole career a little bit different. I think looking back, I just, I should have like gone out and like work in different places and like, you know, try different stuff. I, I was for a long time cooking wise is stuck with my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. uh, I would tell myself to just, just go out there, like just, just go cook and you will start liking it. And if you get the chance, just leave and adventure and see the world okay very nice look ref thank you very much um we're almost done i just have uh three less questions for you if you would indulge me um and i ask this to everyone um is cooking an art or is it a craft craft 100 percent um cooking is is a craft uh, you can like it's the craftsmanship that goes into cooking is everything. Uh, if if you're if you really have your craft down, if you know what you're doing with cooking, like the art will come, like the the beauty of the plate will come. Um, you can make really beautiful plates in like an art sense that will taste absolutely horrible. So cooking is hundred percent craft. Okay, and. If you were trapped on a desert island, uh, what three items would you take with you? Um, I will take my wife with me. Uh, I will sell it <laughs> as an vacation tour. Nice. You get to see me a lot. Uh, but like, yeah, obviously a knife. You know, that's what it is. And I think like a flint rod would probably be a good third option too. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. And do you have any social media accounts that our listeners can follow to see uh, what you're up to uh, personally or um, at work? Um, well, there's the restaurant one, uh, Restaurant Rubino, you will find on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, that's that. Uh, my personal one is chef.raf. Uh, I don't post as much as I should. Uh, but there's some pictures on there. Once I want to post something, if you're vegetarian, might not be a good thing to go. There's a lot of uh, butchering on there. So okay, listeners, be warned. Yeah, just as a heads up. But yeah, no, I think that's okay. Cool. So that's it. Thank you very much, uh, Raf, for uh, being part of this uh, podcast well, today. It's thank been, you for having uh, me. It was it was a pleasure. Yeah, it was very cool. And um, thanks to all the listeners for for tuning in. Um, wish everybody a good uh, a good day and uh, you know goodbye for now. Hey folks, 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Grab a Drink with the Swiss Chef. Hope you enjoyed it and are much more wiser for it. And as I tell you all the time, if you fancy giving us a rating, it makes a big difference. I know it's a pain, but your support is crucial. So if you do feel motivated, go to wherever you get your pods from and give a review or a rating. Obviously, we depend on listeners and depend on more and more people finding out about this pod. So if you've liked what you've listened to, a good review really does help. Thanks, folks. Really appreciate it.